1: New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts.
2: Taysom Hill continues to roll. David Montgomery puts back to back 25 plus point weeks, and the Browns' passing game has a day. We're talking all that and more on Roto Viz Radio. What's
0: up, Roto Viz?
2: Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. We are recording this on Monday evening, so we will not be talking about the Monday night games, is what I was planning. However, uh, an interesting game that did just conclude. I am not super happy about some of the outcomes in this game. And when we talk about some of the MVP stuff, which we've been talking about frequently, we'll have to get Matt's thoughts on Ben Roethlisberger. But more importantly, Matt, how are you doing, sir? I am doing
1: okay. Um, you know, just I'm at the, uh, the desperation and disdain part of the, uh, of the season where, you know, just trying to get through it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going well enough.
2: All right, well, um, let's just get right into the injuries, not to keep on a uh, somewhat negative note here. DJ Moore has popped up on the COVID list for the Panthers. It's unclear if he is going to be available for the team when they are in action over the weekend coming off of their bye. So an unfortunate circumstance if you're a DJ Moore owner and he's not going to be able to play for you in what will very likely be a playoff matchup. In terms of how this impacts the rest of the team, naturally, you're going to see probably a slight pickup for Robbie Anderson, for Curtis Samuel. Are there any other players on the Panthers uh, that you think would benefit um, in picking up that share if he's unable to play?
1: yeah, I mean, a little bit for Christian McCaffrey. I mean, if you have him and he's returning and it looks like he's going to be returning tentatively. Uh, but you know, if he returns, you were always planning on playing him anyway,, uh, but he might get a little more in the target share department just because DJ Moore isn't there. So, uh, you know, all the more reason to be enthusiastic about what he could do if he returns.
2: Sure. Frank Gore suffered a concussion uh, in his game against the Raiders. Not sure what his availability is going to look like next week, but Ty Johnson steps in, puts up 104 rushing yards and scored a touchdown. Is this a fluke in what was a very weird game between New York and Las Vegas? Or do you think that we can see Johnson continue this?
1: Uh, I mean, he can probably continue. It's sort of like the, uh, you know, running backs don't matter adage where any guy who's back there getting enough volume uh, has a decent chance of putting up usable fantasy points. And it's been a weird hallmark of uh, the Adam Gase era, both with the Jets and also with the Dolphins, where he kind of fixates on a guy, and then he will just let that guy dominate usage in the backfield. And we were seeing that from Frank Gore, where even though he wasn't that productive, he was getting like 20 touches per game. Uh, and then now that Gore's out, we, uh, we could see that with Ty Johnson. So yeah, I mean, he's at that point, a running back two, low end RB two. I mean, that's not sexy, but I mean, at this point in the season, that's good enough to be in a starting lineup.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. So, I mean, I think that if you have any dollars out there remaining and you're looking at getting Johnson onto your team because you need a running back, that's a perfectly fine decision to make. Um, You know, I don't think that you can expect 20 points per game like you said, but maybe you can eke out 10, 11, 12, which might be enough to make or break you in the playoffs. Uh, Daryl Henderson suffered a knee injury over the weekend. Uh, Not very clear if he's going to miss any time, but he did have a long touchdown. Cam Akers, though, also scored Matt, so I think that um, if Henderson doesn't play and you're an Akers owner, you're probably pretty happy about getting him into your lineup. I know we've talked about this backfield now for a couple of weeks. If they're both going, are we still in that that same kind of holding pattern where they're both getting time, Akers is looking better, but you can't really count on him getting a full workload? Or do you think that we're going to see a gap opening now that Akers continues
1: to outplay Henderson? Uh, I mean, I think we've already seen that gap uh, just in terms of the usage that Cam Akers had. Uh, It's unfortunate that he's not more of a receiving back. I, I do think he has that potential, but we haven't seen it in the NFL. But he had 21 carries this week. And I mean, the important thing is he got a high number of those carries within the 10 yard line. So he is a guy that they are looking to as a goal line back at this point. Uh, 21 carries versus only three for Daryl Henderson. I mean, that's that's lead back. Like he, as long as this holds, he is now the lead back. And if Daryl Henderson is entering this game injured, even if he's playing, uh, if he's you know playing through a knee injury, then I think the the Rams are all the more incentivized to ride Cam Akers. So uh, I don't know. I tentatively say. We have officially reached Cam maker season.
2: Oh boy! Oh boy! All right. Well, let's uh, let's hope that he closes out with the bang and not at the um, not not because Henderson is injured, but just because he has usurped this back. No, field. I'll take it. I'll I'll take it. Okay. Oh, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> let's let's be honest.
1: We want. We want Cam Akers to have as clear of a runway as possible for taking off. Uh, And that means it's not like I'm hoping that Henderson is injured uh, or anything like that. But, you know, I would say uh, to put this in like a humanitarian perspective, I think it would be good for Daryl Henderson to rest his knee and to make sure that he's 100 percent whenever he returns to the football field. And until then, he can let his very capable teammate, Cam Akers, carry him uh, and carry the rest of the team. To fantasy championships that's what i'm hoping
2: put like a man of the most sincere compassion um brandon allen suffered a chest injury uh, if he does not go next week it would be ryan finley so we might have more turnover at the quarterback position for cincinnati any quick
1: thoughts Oh, I can't believe we're talking about Ryan Finley. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it actually matters all that much yeah. to the, uh, the the playmakers in Cincinnati. Like, I don't know if it matters much to T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd. Like, whatever you thought of them with Brandon Allen, that's pretty much what you should think of them with Ryan Finley. Right.
2: And then, actually, is is Tyler Boyd going to be out in
1: week 14? I mean, I mean he was ex- uh, expelled. That's not the right word. He was ejected. Uh, he was ejected. Yes. From, uh, expelled. That's so, what is he in high school? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he can't play in, in this Friday night's game because uh, he was expelled. No. Um, yeah, he was ejected, but I mean, I don't think that's turning into a suspension. Okay. I think it's just, he was ejected. We We have to wait and see, but I haven't heard anything about how he's going to miss another game because of that. Okay. All right. So I think we
2: have covered all of the Injury-related pieces, unless there's any glaring omissions that I made.
1: By the way, this was a pretty injury-free week and a pretty un-COVID-impacted week. Like, we got lucky. You know, like week 13, that was pretty good considering where we are uh, in the year, just in terms of, you know, COVID is, uh, you know, spreading again and, uh, you know, everything like that. But we had a clean NFL week, or as clean as it can be, Uh, I think we might get that again for week 14. All right, let's hope. So, as I said
2: at the start of the show, Taysom Hill continues to roll. He's averaged 25 points per game since taking over in week 11. He's only thrown two passing touchdowns. Both came over the weekend, has four rushing touchdowns. With people in the fantasy playoffs now, Matt, things really coming to the wire, how realistic is it that Taysom Hill keeps producing like he has For the rest of 2020, let me say it like this, not so much in how that production is coming perspective, but in terms of the fantasy point output.
1: Um, okay. So I think we should keep in mind that he's played three games and two of those have come against the Falcons. Uh, and they are one of the worst teams in the league against uh, opposing quarterbacks from a fantasy perspective. So great matchups there. Uh, And then the third game, which was in the middle, uh, was against a Broncos team that had no starting quarterback. So he was like at a clear advantage in all three of his games. Um, That said, I still think what we've seen out of him is pretty representative of what he could do going forward. But, I mean, there are reports that Drew Brees... Is going to come back or, or at least could come back in week 14, if not week 14, probably week 15. So I'm still not uh, really too interested in Taysom Hill in terms of what he could do going into the playoffs. Like, I don't think you're going to get, you know, like three strong weeks out of him just because he's not going to be the guy on the field. But uh, if News changes with Drew Brees, then I actually do think what we've seen out of Taysom Hill uh, is something that we could project forward. I mean, it's it's pretty similar, I think, to uh, end of season rookie Josh Allen, where he was actually the number one fantasy quarterback for the final six games of his rookie season. Um I think we could see something like that because Taysom Hill, he does have that running ability and that gives him a lot of upside. And he does have really good pass catching weapons around him. And he's got one of the best offensive play callers in the league. So, uh, given all of that, yeah, I think he's a, I mean, it sounds so dirty to say it, but I think he's a, a like a top five, top eight fantasy quarterback whenever he's out there oh with gosh. room for upside. Wow.
2: I mean, that is wild. So, in my perspective, it is a little bit challenging to try to carry forward some of the touchdown production that is driving up his totals. Um, having said that, though, because he is in New Orleans and it isn't unprecedented that we see quarterbacks scoring a lot of touchdowns now, I'm inclined to say that it does continue. I don't think that I'm quite as bullish as... As you are, I don't see him approximating an average of 25, but he definitely could go over 20. Uh, So if Breeze doesn't return, I really think that people are going to be keeping Hill in their lineups. And I don't think that they're going to be sorely disappointed if they do, which is just a very crazy place to be in. Um, But I think it's where we are. Uh, Jared Cook rebounded. Over the weekend, we saw Michael Thomas have a fine game. So things are kind of looking up for the players there in the offense. I still think, though, that if you are invested in other players, you're hoping that Drew Brees comes back. That probably goes without saying.
1: I think that's for for Taysom Hill. It is a very uh, negative situation, I think, for the other players around him. Yes. So David Montgomery um, has been an interesting case
2: this year had only had up until um, week 12 against the Packers, one RB1 game. But it was worth noting at the time, he has played a pretty grueling schedule. One of the hardest of all running backs, it didn't really open up to week 9 with his best matchup on the season in week 12 against Green Bay. Then drew an even better matchup against Detroit. And we saw him string together back-to-back 25-plus point performances. Clearly his two best back-to-back games of the season, three total touchdowns um, in those games on five for the season. The schedule sets up nicely. I actually think he closes strongly, Matt. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, I I think that's fair. I mean, and especially given the running back apocalypse that we've had this year, uh, Montgomery, given the workload, Is a guy that, I mean, if you have him, obviously you're starting him, but, uh, I think you're starting him pretty enthusiastically, uh, in part because especially now that, uh, Tariq Cohen is out, we have a pretty decent sample of knowing what Montgomery can do as a receiver within that offense. And I I mean, on the low end, it's three targets per game, but more realistically, it's you know four to six targets per game that he's going to be getting, and that gives him a pretty nice floor. Uh, and then you tack on top of that all of the rushing workload, where it's it's Montgomery and then it's Cordell Patterson as this hybrid running back wide receiver as the guy who's behind him. So I mean it's basically Montgomery getting not quite all of the work because they still give uh, Cordero Patterson carries, but I mean, getting as much of the work as almost any other running back in the league. Yeah, well, he ranks
2: seventh in opportunities among running backs. And you talk about the floor. His lowest point total on the season was 7.2 against Tennessee in week nine. So there definitely is a floor built in there. And for a player that has really felt like he struggled, he ranks 15th in points per game. Um, in PPR scoring, so you know if you have Montgomery, I think he might pay dividends for you down the stretch.
1: Baker, yeah, he's got, yep. he's got this matchup against Houston. Uh, Houston is one of the worst teams in the league against opposing running backs. So, I mean, Week fourteen, uh, perfect spot for David Montgomery.
2: Very nice. Baker Mayfield threw for 344 yards and four touchdowns over the weekend. We've now seen Jarvis Landry with back-to-back solid games. Uh, How do he and Higgins fare with the remaining schedule that the Browns face, which includes the Ravens, the Giants, and the Jets?
1: I mean, the Ravens, that's a tough matchup. Um, So I'm actually now just finishing up my uh, wide receiver cornerback matchup piece for week 14 and uh, a clear downgrade, I think is Jarvis Landry where even though he's getting a really high uh, share of targets uh, without Odell Beckham on the field, uh, he's going to be going against, he's going to be going against Marlon Humphrey this week uh, in the slot. And like, that is a really tough matchup. Uh, And so I mean, Landry still might get, you know, I don't like eight to 10 targets, but uh, I think they're going to be pretty low quality targets. So uh, he's someone I would probably be looking to fade this week uh, against the Giants. Um, It's interesting because James Bradbury, who's playing very well this year, he doesn't go into the slot. So Landry could still have a pretty good game against him and then against the Jets in week 16. I mean, it it is on like they were playing like three backup cornerbacks. Uh, I mean, it's a total onslaught. Fair enough.
2: All right. So this week, uh, maybe not so much as in week 14, weeks 15 and 16 looking a little bit better. Um, Marvin Jones has been racking up air yards, 168 last week, 234 over the weekend, 12 targets in back-to-back games. Of course, Kenny Galladay has been out. If you look at the splits between when Marvin Jones is playing with Kenny Galladay and when he's playing without, you see 8.9 PPR points versus 14.89 uh, the targets jump from four and a half to 8.29. The yards go from about 37 to 62. It's unclear exactly what's going on in terms of Kenny Galladay returning to action. But nonetheless, I think it's been pretty encouraging for Marvin Jones. Uh, the question becomes, Matt, is he a locked in starter when Kenny Galladay is not in Detroit's lineup?
1: Yes, I I do believe that he is. Um, but for week 14, he has a pretty tough matchup against Jair Alexander. Uh, and so I think if you have him, you start him, but you kind of have to adjust your expectations down a little bit. Week 15 against Tennessee could be pretty good uh, given the state of their secondary. But of course, a Jackson could return by week 15, uh, which means their secondary would be stronger. And then week 16 has a matchup against Tampa Bay. And I'm imagining he would be going against Carlton Davis. So, like three matchups that might not be all that good coming up, but because of his usage, I think you still have to start him. Got
2: it. Um, Jonathan Taylor, another encouraging game. This is the first time I've, I've really found myself on the show, uh, getting pretty excited again, 13 attempts, 91 yards, uh, a receiving touchdown on three receptions, 44 yards. He had 16 opportunities to Naheem Hines, nine and Wilkins seven. I'm starting to think that it's clear the team does believe in him. As a runner, had a couple of good runs. We're starting to see things come around on Taylor in what overall will be a pretty solid rookie season. Um, I just want to share that note because I'm feeling pretty good. Are you, Matt?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're looking at a guy who is pacing still for over 1200 yards from scrimmage as a rookie. And that's pretty good. And uh, who has been better as a receiver than anyone would have anticipated. And who still has, I mean, it's not like this metric is everything, but like 4.1 yards per carry. Like, it's not like he's been trash as a runner. So I mean, I think you look at all of that in totality, you have to view the season as a success. Like it it might not feel successful as you're going through it, but if someone had told you before the season started, Jonathan Taylor's going to have 1200 yards and he's going to be a really good receiving back or he's going to at least be efficient as a receiver, everyone would have been excited.
2: For sure. Um, Now, another running back that was coming on a rookie DeAndre Swift hasn't played in a couple weeks. He was starting to put things together. In his absence, we've seen Adrian Peterson record four rushing touchdowns in the last two weeks. Absent of Swift from the Lions lineup, is Adrian Peterson on an RB1, mat rest of the season?
1: Uh, I mean, an RB1, I, I don't want to say so. Like, I don't believe that. But uh, just because he's, he's not getting any usage as a receiver. Uh, He's not really all that efficient as a runner. And like, I know efficiency as a runner isn't all that important, but like, if you're not efficient as a runner, you're not going to like, you don't give yourself a chance to break long touchdowns. That means you're pretty much at the whim of your offense, putting you in a position to score touchdowns instead of kind of being able to help yourself out. And uh, you know, that means we're basically looking at 15 to 18 at the most carries that are relatively empty. uh, And you're hoping he scores a touchdown. Uh, Like that's not something that I want. The production has looked good because of the touchdowns, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're hoping, you know, at that point, you're just hoping that things work out. That said, going against the Packers in week 14, um, it's a situation where, Because uh, the Lions are underdogs, they might not really have all that much opportunity to give Adrian Peterson the ball, but the Packers are really bad against opposing running backs. So maybe Peterson actually is able to have a better game than expected.
2: Yeah. So my opinion on this, and I kind of asked it slightly tongue in cheek because he's kind of on that border. I don't really think that you'd expect an RB one type of outlook from him. The expected points have been decent though. Um, 15.7 against Houston, 13.8 against the Bears. So he's actually been fairly efficient going over expectations. But like you said, the workload for Peterson, cause it's largely to the run and he's much less involved as a receiver doesn't have that, uh, high ceiling like other players at the position might. So if Swift doesn't play, I think you're getting some reliable production from Peterson, um, but it's probably going to be capped outside of... And also, I mean, I don't think you're going to be banking on two touchdowns from him a game. So yeah. that's kind of where we are
1: um, here's, with Peterson. Yep. Here's another way of thinking about it. If the Lions had a great offense and you knew that they were going to be lighting it up and putting their goal line back in the position to score touchdowns, then you would be totally fine with a running back who had a pretty inefficient 50-ish yards or so each game But you knew he's got a pretty decent chance each game of scoring one to two touchdowns. But like, that's not the case with Adrian Peterson. He's just going to have an inefficient 50 yards and you're hoping for the touchdown. So there's a really big difference there. You know, I still think
2: one of the things that makes considering Adrian Peterson very difficult is the fact that he is Adrian Peterson. Uh, He's just a different Adrian Peterson than the one that is lingering in the back of people's minds.
1: So, are you sure about that? I think at this point, he's been old for so long that people have forgotten the young Adrian Peterson from, I mean, I say young Adrian Peterson from 2015. He was even 30 years old then, but like, it feels like he's been old forever. No, I, I appreciate
2: that fact. And I don't think people are viewing him as this old Adrian Peterson. But what I mean is because things have worked out for this guy for so long, it feels like they, on some level, just
1: will continue okay, to work fair. out. Do you yeah, know what I mean? That's fair. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yep. All right. Kiki QT saw nine targets, 22.1 fantasy points, eight recs, 141 yards uh, over the weekend. That was more targets. He also saw more air yards than Brandon Cooks. I know last week we didn't paint the most optimistic picture for him. Do we need to adjust that prior?
1: Maybe a little bit. I was surprised by the air yardage that he had. Um, And by the way, I think we should also mention, I mean, I can't believe I'm going to mention Chad Hansen, but um, like Hansen was the number three receiver. And I mean, it's guaranteed that he's available on waivers in every league. And I I mean, I'm not going to put too much stock in what he did in college because he was, you know, like a fourth rounder at uh, California, but he was actually really productive in college. So just something to think about. Like, I don't think he's a total fluke. Like he was actually, uh, I think, an underappreciated player entering the league. And with a quarterback like Deshaun Watson throwing to him, um, he could actually be someone who who surprises a little bit now back to, uh, back to Kiki, um, the nine targets. I mean, that's, that's legit. Like, uh, if, if he had nine targets every game, I almost don't care what his air yardage is, you know, like the fact that he's able to convert it is all the better, but, uh, if he's getting nine targets, like you would probably start Jarvis Landry each week if you knew guaranteed he was going to get nine targets. Now, let's not say like a Cutie is guaranteed nine targets, but it's really encouraging that that's what he got.
2: For sure, um, and I, I do think it's worth noting that yeah, you can take away something from him because one of his targets, you know, counter or one of his receptions accounted for a lot of his yardage. But like you said, I mean, the nine targets you can't really overlook. Um, moving along off of Houston, the Eagles benched Carson Wentz, uh, who completed just 6 of 15 for 79 yards and no touchdowns, brought in Jalen Hurts, who did it a little bit better, uh, managed two record a passing touchdown overall not a fantastic day for any of the wide receivers except you could maybe make the case of greg ward who led the team with 14.7 points given expectations uh dallas garter jalen rager 11 and a half points miles sanders only 3.1 points in this game how bad is this turmoil in philadelphia for the team's fantasy prospects and then In terms of how bad Carson Wentz has been, Matt, do you think that the team should turn things over from Wentz to Hurts? Just for a little perspective, uh, Wentz has thrown on target on only 61.4% of passes. That's one of the worst rates in the league. Terrible sack percentage of 9.4, one of the highest in the league. Really, if you're looking for positives on Wentz in advanced metrics... One of the few things you can point to is the average depth of his throws at eight point five yards. Beyond that, you're struggling to find anything.
1: I don't think there's really anything good to look at with Carson Wentz. Um, he wasn't all that great as a rookie. He was okay, but you know, like not that great. Um, he had a good second season obviously, but uh, at this this point, it feels very fluky. Like either that was just him playing extremely hot or uh, maybe that's who he was at the time, but because of the injuries he's had since then, he's just a shell of his former self. Um, Either way, I don't know if it really matters. I think the bottom line is that he's not the guy that everyone was really excited about in 2017 and it feels like he's entering like the bad version of the Ryan Tannehill zone, where you have a guy who's like 29 30, like start he's not there yet, but like next year he's going to be 29 and it feels like the Eagles are still going to be in evaluation mode on this guy. And it's his sixth year. Um, I mean, I think they made a pretty big mistake In paying him, I don't know, what was it, like $100 million or whatever? Uh, Fantasy Mansion, uh, a.k.a. Podfather, had a pretty good tweet or a couple of tweets on this. Uh, Here it is. The Eagles five-year plan. Okay, we need to trade way up for an old, erratic North Dakota State quarterback prospect, win a Super Bowl with someone else pay the bad quarterback $128 million, then surround him with JJ Ortega-Whiteside and Jalen Rager instead of DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson. Um, Yeah. Draft a modern NFL quarterback in the second round the year after we commit 100 million to the bad quarterback, but refuse to play the new quarterback until we are totally humiliated, but somehow still in playoff contention. Oh, boy. Um, Great stuff there from the podfather. Yeah. I mean, that feels very accurate. Uh, and I would say that at this point, there's there's nothing redemptive in the Carson Wentz situation. I think either they stick with him, and that means they totally blew a second rounder on Jalen Hurts, or uh, you go to Hurts and you're basically admitting that you blew $128 million on a guy you probably shouldn't have drafted in the first place.
2: Yeah. So Carson Wentz does not become an unrestricted free agent until 2025. Um, like you said, with those dollars, they are really invested in him. You know, and the part of the challenge here, too, I feel like um, if they're trying to move forward, like you said, you used that second on Hertz. Now, Hertz is a player that I liked, but does he feel like somebody who's going to come in and radically change things versus Carson Wentz? Probably not. Um, and being locked into Wentz when there are other passers that they could potentially take going down the line. It, this just feels like the situation where they're going to keep looking at this sunk cost. And I am glad I'm not an Eagles fan, Matt.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it seems much better to be a Patriots fan right now. <laughs> Um, yes. So new
2: England coming off and I'm glad that you mentioned the Patriots because I actually didn't have anything in the, in the show notes on them, but there was a question I did want to ask you. So let's take a quick pause here to hear from one of our sponsors. And then we will talk about Damian Harris. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore total visits, so it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it Asked. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed. slash Blue Wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed. slash Blue Wire. Offer valid through December 31. Terms and conditions apply. So, as I mentioned, I wanted to ask about Damian Harris. Now, to just give a little context on Harris, on the season, he's gone over 100 rushing yards three times. Um, he has been fairly efficient, actually, Uh, maybe even more than fairly, pretty efficient, 5.1 yards per carry, 641 yards on 126 rushes, not really getting used as a receiver, only five targets, has caught four for 52 yards. It's been feeling like a pretty good season for Matt, uh, Matt, for Harris as a fan watching The games, of course, just two rushing touchdowns. And a lot of that is going to be due to the fact that you have a quarterback that is taking away a lot of opportunity for those rushing touchdowns. So I personally feel somewhat encouraged about Harris as a player, uh, but not a huge fan of the current situation. Of course, we don't know what the Patriots quarterback situation looks like long term with that information. What is your perception of Harris now? And as a dynasty asset, where do you think that he should be valued?
1: I really like Harris. Um, Well, he's a big body to uh, SEC Alabama back, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, he could be doing nothing, and I would still love him, just like uh, Trent Richardson doing nothing. (laughs) Love that guy. Um, Okay, so with Harris, I think there are – two pretty significant sources of latent potential with him. One, the receiving game. Um, We know from his time at Alabama that he's like at worst an average receiver. And I would say he's probably above average. And it's not as if I'm going to make too much out of a, a five target sample, but anytime they throw the ball to him, he's done a pretty good job. Uh, I think they could give the ball to him a little bit more as a receiver and he could start to take off a little bit. So that's one. If they use him a little bit more as a receiver, um, I mean, he could really develop, I think, into a a three down back. Uh, The other thing, as you mentioned, is the touchdowns. Um, He's not always going to have only like one touchdown per 50 carries. Like we should expect to see him, Start to score a little more often, uh, and especially given how efficient he has been as a runner. And you're right; it's totally Cam Newton. It's it's total bullshit that uh, Cam Harris, has 11 touch rushing touchdowns. By oh, the way, I know it's 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 outrageous that this quarterback who can't throw the ball and who's letting his running back do all the hard work to get the ball at the goal line at that point is just keeping the ball at the goal line, and getting all the cheap touchdowns. It is it is uh, infuriating to see that. But what it means is that we have seen a runner, and I, I feel pretty confident in saying that uh, he's good enough to be an NFL back. Like What we've seen him do as a runner is pretty representative of who he is. So we know that he's good enough to be a runner, and uh, at this point, once he starts to score more touchdowns, like he's just going to explode because at that point we will have uh, an efficient runner who's scoring touchdowns and maybe getting more receptions. I I mean, I feel pretty confident in saying he's not going to get fewer receptions than like the 0.3 receptions per game that he's gotten so far. So I think the future is really bright. And also I should say there's maybe even a third uh, source of latent potential. I mean, they could get rid of Cam Newton. He's on a one-year contract I think that offense could be better next year with another, maybe more traditional quarterback. Um, So not only would potentially Damian Harris have more opportunity to score touchdowns because his quarterback isn't stealing the goal line carries, but maybe uh, that offense is just better in general. So more opportunities overall, more carries, more goal line opportunities, uh, more targets, uh, I mean, I, I think the future is really bright for Damian Harris, especially because Sony Michelle, even though he has returned, he is a clear second fiddle. I uh, maybe not even second fiddle. He's like the third fiddle at this point, uh, to, to Damian Harris. So, uh, I really like him and I would be trying to trade for him wherever I could in dynasty. Wow. Um, you know i I have been impressed i've I've
2: liked him. um I'm maybe not quite as high as you are, but I think the other thing to note is this Patriots team has been one where the conventional wisdom with the backfield every year and deservedly so has been you don't know which guys you can play. Well, we're starting to reach a point where it looks like James White is not becoming or not maintaining this significant role. In the Patriots offense, he's getting older. You have a player in Rex Burkhead, who at this point in his career, no spring chicken. And I feel like Damian Harris is as well positioned as anybody, like you got at, of being the player that really takes over this role in the backfield And it feels to me like the team is kind of seeing this, given the usage that we've seen go to Michelle. We haven't seen any other player really get significantly brought into the situation recently. So I do think it's encouraging. And though he is in New England, it's possible that this context he finds himself in in that backfield is a little bit different than the Patriots backfield that we've been used to over the last 10 years.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair. He's he's uh, he has a minimum of ten carries in every game but one, and you know more reliably he's in that like fourteen to sixteen range of carries. Like that's pretty decent. Uh, obviously, you would like for him to, him to score touchdowns. You would like him to catch <laughs> passes, but uh, I don't know. Like for a guy, uh, you could get off of waivers really easily. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, 14 to 16 carries per game is not bad.
2: Right. Absolutely not. Um, Shifting over here to rookie tight ends quickly. And this is position, as we always talk about, very slow to develop. You're not going to get a lot out of tight ends in the rookie year. Harrison Bryant with 16 receptions on 23 targets in 50.4 PPR points, leads rookie tight ends. Do you have any takeaways on him or on other rookie tight ends? Um, here's an interesting thing um, that I'm actually not going to share because I forget who I made these notes on. I think it was Cole Komet. who <laughs> only got over 30 yards once, has three touchdowns on the season, two against Cincinnati. Or is that, that's Harrison Bryant, actually. Yeah, that's Harrison yeah. Bryant. All right, forgive me, listeners, there. So this is what you're getting out of rookie tight ends. Do you have any
1: thoughts, Matt? Uh, it's not great. I mean, Bryant he is the most productive of the rookie tight ends so far, but in his past four games, he's been targeted in only one of them, you know, like he's, he's not really a focal point in that offense right now. Uh, And maybe that changes in future seasons with, uh, you know, David and Joku leaving or being traded, something like that. But um I don't know Harrison Bryant. He's intriguing, but I'm still a little bit skeptical. Uh, Komet is a little more interesting. They have really started to rely on him uh, versus Jimmy Graham. He had seven targets last week. Um, you know, scored a touchdown, had uh, career high five receptions. Komet is someone I would start to pay attention to a little bit more. And then you know, you have the two tight ends <laughs> in New England who have done nothing. <laughs> who's done absolutely nothing. Uh, but you know, maybe next year, uh, they start to develop a little bit. So, uh, it's been, as you say, a really bad year for rookie tight ends. Uh, and you normally don't really want to invest in rookie tight ends anyway, but it feels like it's been an especially bad season for
2: sure. So I think my biggest takeaway there is that, uh, you really can't just, you really can't do very much with this season, given what we know about the position. Um, You know, maybe sometimes you can you can read into things and find a player that you can point to what they've done and say, okay, this is actually indicative of a player that could be special. We haven't seen that yet, but I'm not going to write these players off. The Giants beat the Seahawks by five points over the weekend. Does this throw Russell Wilson out of the MVP discussion, Matt?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think he was even still in the MVP discussion before this game, uh, but now he's he's really out of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's much more to say there.
2: No, there isn't. But it does segue us into, despite the fact that I said we wouldn't talk about the Monday night games, we do now know that uh, Ben Roethlisberger made a very costly pick at the end of this Monday night game where a lot of people were watching. The Steelers are no longer undefeated, not looking like a fantastic un- team as far as undefeated teams go. Uh, is this basically the end of big Ben's case for MVP?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. He's dead. The the thesis, the total investment thesis was that uh, the Steelers might go undefeated. That that was it. That was the totality of it. Uh, so, Uh, I think Wilson is out, Roethlisberger is out. It's pretty much a two-man race uh, between, obviously, Mahomes and then Aaron Rodgers. Uh, And so if the Packers can get the number one seed, then I think Rodgers wins MVP. Uh, And if not, then I think it's Mahomes. Yeah, that's going to be a
2: really, really uh interesting race can you imagine how nuts the media outlets will go if we end up with a green bay packers kansas city chiefs uh super bowl
1: that would be fantastic that would be like one of the best things to happen out of this godforsaken year yeah it really would um i think that's up there as far
2: as best matchups go are there any others that you think would be really fun to have
1: uh i don't know not really like i don't I'm not too hot on a lot of the teams in the NFC. Um, I think they all kind of have their, their weaknesses. So, uh, I mean, I'm just sort of whatever, really. Uh, I think it would be interesting to see uh, the Rams get back to the Super Bowl uh, after, you know, being pretty close to winning it two years ago, doing nothing last year, revamping their defense and that actually working out. So the idea of uh, like Jalen Ramsey on one side and uh, Aaron Donald on one side going against that Chiefs offense, like I think that would be an interesting matchup.
2: Yeah, that really would. I'm just trying to think of the ways that the Rams would line up to match up against all of those weapons for uh, Kansas City. Definitely a chess match that a lot of people would like to see. Uh, moving along now, let's get to some longer term questions. Now, not all of these are super relevant to in season at this exact point, Matt, but Trevor Lawrence looking like one of, if not the best quarterback prospect of all time um, if you have not been following Travis May or listening to the College to Canton podcast, definitely do that. He's going to get you up to date on all of the incoming prospects. I know he's a huge fan of Trevor Lawrence. So my question for you, Matt, is with the success that we've seen now over the last couple of years of a lot of young passers, kind of a new class of quarterbacks taking the owner taking over the NFL with Mahomes, Kyler, Lamar. Do you think we're going to see something now in dynasty leagues where people start going after these young passers a little more aggressively? And do you think that that starts to get guys like Trevor Lawrence into the first round of drafts as soon as next season?
1: Yeah, I think so. Me too. Um, Yeah. Kyler went higher in the rookie drafts. I was in two years ago than I expected he would. And I was, I was high on Kyler. Um, And yeah, I, I do think that because of the hype around Trevor Lawrence, that it's not just like a one-year thing, but it's, you know, since his 2018 freshman season, there's been a ton of hype around him. Uh, and for the most part, he's looked really good. Like he's lived up to the hype in his college career. Uh, and so... I do think there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm for him. Um, the thing is, though, that he's not like the one area where I would push back is that he's not like the runner that people typically want if they're going to pay up for a quarterback. So, you know, what, what, had, what Kyler had going for him was, uh, I mean, obviously he was a talented passer, but like the rushing production he had in college and the idea that he could translate that to the NFL. Uh, Lawrence is a good runner but he's not like the dual threat that people typically want. He's, I'd say he's a little bit more kind of like Mahomes as a runner where like he has the ability, but he's not like racking it up each game with his legs. So it's, it's a little bit different, but I do think that Lawrence will go. uh, Certainly, I think in the first round of rookie drafts, I'd say, I mean, without really knowing at this point, all that much about the, uh, the incoming class in terms of like who declares and all that stuff. But I'd say probably right. like starting around pick eight, I think is where you would see Lawrence go off the board in, in season. I mean, uh in one quarterback leagues, so obviously in super flex, he's the number one pick. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's going to be really interesting. And one of the things too, that will drive a lot of that is even though people know, that in many respects, running backs and wide receivers are more valuable. There's still that little voice in their mind telling them about, well, this could be a stable player that you can have in your lineup for 10 years, which I think factors into it. Um, However, though, I'm not sure that that makes me inclined to go above a really good running back or really good wide receiver. And I'm not sure that a lot of people are going to make that leap either. So I imagine that though he's going to go in the first round, it will probably be in the back half. Um, but yeah. you know, like you said, we'll have to see depending on who declares how things shake out. Um, and then also I think it's going to be interesting to to track how many guys come out. And some of that will depend on the uncertainty probably surrounding COVID. Um, That has to play into it somehow, even though we did see a pretty substantial college football season get played this year. Um, This is another unrelated question, Matt, but I saw somebody ask you this and I, I, I thought it might make an interesting quick discussion for us here. What are your thoughts about teams tanking in dynasty leagues?
1: I don't have a problem with it, but, um, I do want it to look decent. Like I want it to be like a respectable tank job. Um, (laughs) like I, I, I know that might, that might sound weird, but, um, okay. So here's what I mean by that. Like, if you have a quarterback, you have to start your quarterback, you know, like you have to start the guy who is clearly the better play if it's borderline and you can make uh, a defensible, even if it's not correct, but you can make a defensible uh, claim for starting someone else, then fine, whatever. Like that's that's fine. Um, I think one thing you can do to make it a sort of respectable tank is uh, at the onesie positions. You don't even roster those, those positions. So instead of having a kicker, instead of having a defense uh, you just drop those and you (laughs) roster another roster, another running back, uh, another wide receiver. And the thing is like, I think you can defend that you can say long-term it is worth more to me to have more exposure to a running back and to a wide receiver who might turn into a star than it is to have a kicker like that like long-term that is probably accurate. And it also uh, just has the nice added benefit of almost ensuring that you lose each matchup because you're not starting a kicker or a defense. So, uh, but I think it needs to be done in a decent way, but I, I certainly not at all have a problem with people having kind of like the longer term perspective in mind in that, correlating with uh taking some sort of hit in the production you get in the short term now one thing that you can do to uh if you're like a commissioner or just someone in a league and you don't really like the idea of people tanking uh you can have like a best ball head-to-head format where it, it i wouldn't say it makes it impossible for people to tank but uh it takes out all issues that have to do with start sit decisions and i think that is a virtue both in terms of like preventing people from tanking but then also just like streamlining the friction that you have in a league
2: yeah exactly so my my take on this is if you don't have any rules that are in place and i don't like a rule that's just a blanket like you can't tank i think if teams want to tank and try to rebuild that's a fine thing for them to do. Uh, But if it does become an issue, some of that might just be reflective of the way that the league is set up, because you could basically just have it in your rules that each week a team needs to play all of their players, right, or needs to play a player at every position. And then then they can have, you know, crappy players go in there, or also maybe because one of the biggest knocks on tanking is that it's going to skew things in the league as far as teams making the playoffs go, well, then maybe you do something to balance things out so it's not all head to head. And then you throw in some aspect of, um, you know, points into the equation. That way, the teams that are tanking can go about that. They're not going to score a lot of points. And the teams that are looking to make the playoffs can get in on the merits of the points that they have scored. So I don't really have a problem with teams tanking unless they're doing something that their league doesn't allow for. Just take a vote on it in your league, get the consensus and go with it. Um, but you, you know, the thing that always gets me and that bothers me too, is when people will try to make for certain things in fantasy football, they want to make this argument that you're trying to approximate something like a real league yet. Then when things like tanking come up, people will have a problem with it. It's like, well, we all know tanking goes on in the real NFL. So, um, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Moral of the story is I think that it's up to the league to take a specific action to tweak things in the league. That's either going to do make an incentive to not tank or that's going to allow teams to do it, but, you know, not sacrificing the integrity of the teams that will make the playoffs, which I think is perfectly doable.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's right.
2: All right. My final question for you, Matt, and I posed this poll on Twitter and it got fairly interesting results. To be very honest, I think this is an impossible question to answer, but we're going to see which way you lean. You can build a dynasty team around one of the following groups of players. Who do you choose? So we have four options here. They're all a quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Team one, Justin Herbert, Antonio Gibson, Calvin Ridley. Team two, Josh Allen, Jonathan Taylor, DK Metcalf. Team three, Dak Prescott, James Robinson, and Tyree Kill. Or team four, Kyler Murray, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and C.D. Lamb. The team that got the most votes was Allen Taylor and Metcalf team with the least was Prescott Robinson and Hill.
1: Who do you think is the number one dynasty wide receiver right now?
2: Hmm. I would say that right now, like in my personal opinion, I think that I do give a slight edge to Tyreek Hill.
1: Okay. I think I probably have Metcalf ahead of Hill. Yeah. Because he's so much younger yep. and because quarterback is just kind of whatever. And because running back is just like a position that I'm not going to pay too much attention to. I'm going to go with Metcalf. Fair enough. You know, like, like Allen is in the same tier roughly with all of these other quarterbacks, the same thing with Taylor and those other running backs. Uh, Metcalf, I think has a slight edge over the other receivers. So I would go with that, that team. Got it. You know, so of the road of his
2: guys, a lot were going towards the Prescott Robinson in hillside. Um, but the conventional wisdom seems to kind of just be that they didn't really care that much about the quarterback. Didn't really care that, that much about the running back. I think it was Curtis Patrick who said like, I don't care about the running back. Cause I'm just going to try to trade him anyway. Um, right. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. It is a really good point. So that's like, you know, lined up with a lot of people's thinking, like you said. So really I think, um, what you're saying is it ultimately came down to just that Metcalf is your is your top player, not just out of that
1: grouping, but out of all wide receivers? I think so, because he's so young, you know? I mean, like, I would probably prefer Devontae Adams for the next year, maybe the next two years, but maybe not even then. Like It might be pretty close between Metcalf and Adams over the next two years. And then after that, clearly the edge goes to Metcalf because he just has that long tail. So here's a, here's a question. I'm going to throw this
2: out and it might sound preposterous, but I think we should at least explore it. Justin Jefferson, is he in the conversation over some of these guys like Ridley Metcalf Hill and lamb, or is he not in that grouping yet?
1: It's a really good question. Um, I think he probably should be. I think actually. he is. And, and the, the fact that the fact that like If you think about it, you can tell that he should be in that grouping, but that he's not like intuitively in the grouping means that he's probably undervalued in the dynasty market right now.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, The only challenge would be in like we've talked about before. Do you think that somebody that owns Jefferson hasn't caught up to that fact yet?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, No, whoever has Jefferson loves him and (laughs) will probably never want to trade him.
2: Yeah, that's fair. All right, final thing before we get out of here, Matt. Any um really interesting wide receiver cornerback matchups you've identified for the coming week?
1: Yeah, one one thing going back to the Jefferson thing. Sure. So so he isn't going to be undervalued if you're trying to trade him or try yeah, if you're trying to get him away from someone who has had him this year, but he probably would be undervalued in dynasty startups. Um Got it. Okay. So, yes, Uh, some wide receiver cornerback matchups of interest. Uh, The big matchup of the week, I think is uh, once again, involving Deandre Hopkins, this time going against James Bradbury. Um, Bradbury did about as good of a job as any uh, human can uh, against (laughs) DK Metcalf last week. Um, And, Hopkins, although he's, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the league, he really hasn't been that good uh, over the past few weeks when he's gone against shadow cornerbacks. Um, so against Xavier Howard, he had only 30 yards uh, against Tredavious white. He did have 127 yards in a touchdown, but a good chunk of that came on uh, last second Hail Mary uh, against Stefan Gilmore. He had only 55 yards against Jalen Ramsey. He had 52 yards in a touchdown, but he needed 13 targets to get it. Um, I think that's going to be a really good matchup, but I think, it's another situation where Hopkins is going against a tough cornerback. Uh, if you have him, you start him, but I think you have to downgrade your expectations a little bit. Uh, and then looking at wide receivers who I think have pretty advantageous matchups. Uh, you have Allen Robinson going against the Texans uh, who have Vernon Hargraves. The third uh, Bradley Roby is out suspended. So uh, the Texans are really naked at the quarterback position right now. Uh, you have DK Metcalf, Going against a Jets cornerback unit that is starting three backups. Uh, of course, one of them is Lamar Jackson, the guy who allowed the Henry Ruggs touchdown at the very end of the game last week. Uh, and then you have a number of other guys who have fantastic matchups Tyreek Hill. Going against Nick Needham in the slot uh, for the Miami Dolphins, and then Devonte Adams going against a Detroit Lions uh, team that is without number one cornerback Desmond Trufant, and also without um, their first round pick. So starting backups uh, really at both outside cornerback positions, Devonte Adams could really clean up. Yeah, Devonte Adams
2: is—he's going to score like forty-five points. Um, Random note here, but you mentioned Lamar Jackson. I am not a fan of Lamar Jackson purely for the reason that he always creates this annoying issue in uh, a database that is not uh, created with unique identifiers between him and the Baltimore Ravens Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah,
1: it's, like, it's like the, uh, the other Adrian, Adrian Peterson, Peterson you know, day, I actually, yep.
2: Yeah. I actually ran into that today. Cause I was looking at some game splits for the lions and like Adrian Peterson one and
1: Adrian Peterson two came up. And when I was looking I was like, oh God, um, it, it, think of, uh, you know, someone who has the misfortune of being named mike thomas you know it's like <laughs> oh, come on man like because there have been like three four five of those guys in the nfl how many yep. mike williams is are there oh my gosh you know? there's
2: probably so many weren't there a couple of steve smiths too
1: yeah yep. yeah
2: yep that's gonna happen with a name like steve smith i think all right well anyway matt um unless you have anything else to add we can close things down good all right that does it for this episode of roto radio you can reach us at RotovizRadio at gmail.com follow us on twitter at dave and at matt F. the oracle thanks to indeed and ben online for sponsoring the show make sure to rate review and subscribe and as always remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it Football is back in swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sports book experts.